Warning, this episode contains brain food that will lead to improved emotional and social intelligence. Hello and welcome to our new short format servings of consciously prepared brain food designed to improve your mental fitness. This is Lisa Cypress Kamen, your host. For more than 12 years, we've been proudly and consistently crafting Harvesting Happiness and sharing it with you. Each week, we spotlight diverse thinkers and doers who are contemporary trendsetters and change agents devoting their lives to creating a better world in which to live. We invite you to listen up and change the way you think about human happiness. Our award-winning content is fresh, optimistic, and purpose-driven media that promotes well-being from the inside out. Alrighty then, let's dive in. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. Thanks for joining me on today's show where you will learn how to move from angst to awe and the power of life-enhancing anxiety. My guest today is Dr. Kirk J. Schneider. Dr. Kirk J. Schneider is a licensed psychologist and leading spokesperson for contemporary existential humanistic and existential integrative psychology. Dr. Schneider is past editor of the Journal of Humanistic Psychology adjunct faculty at Saybrook University and Teachers College, Columbia University, and president of the Existential Humanistic Institute, known as EHI. He is also a fellow of five divisions of the American Psychological Association, as well as a frequent speaker at conferences and in the media. Kirk Schneider is the author of many books and papers, but today we're talking about his newest, Life Enhancing Anxiety, Key to a Sane World. Welcome, Dr. Kurt Schneider. Thanks so much, Lisa. Much appreciated. I appreciate you. I appreciate every page that you have written in this book. As a fellow human (laughs) who has walked some of the path that you describe in your book, Embracing Anxiety, there's so many topics I want to touch upon, and we don't have a lot of time, but I first want to start with your background with anxiety. Well, my background really began in many ways with a great deal of anxiety, with trauma, actually. Uh, When I was about two and a half years old, my seven-year-old brother died of a series of diseases that he struggled with for about 10 months. And as you can imagine, uh, it threw my parents into disarray, caused tremendous disruption uh, in terms of just the the familiar and routine way that we were living before then, and even the connections uh, that I had, uh, particularly with my, my mother, was very, very difficult at that time. And I totally get it now, looking back, that uh, how overwhelming that must have been. I can only begin to imagine uh, what that would be like to lose a child. I have one myself. And so, anyway, that's... That's where I began with just a, a tremendous upheaval in, in my life. And, and I was in very bad shape for several years dealing with the trauma and anxiety. And I would imagine with very few tools at that time, yes. at that age, to even understand what was happening or how to cope with what you were feeling. That's exactly right. And, you know, that really brings me to one of the important pieces of the book, which is called Life-Enhancing Anxiety, Key to a Sane World, is my experience with a, a psychoanalyst when I was six years old. 
a very rare thing for a family such as ours, the middle class in a middle class, working class neighborhood, the Midwest. And uh, yet my mother, despite all her understandable challenges, went to see an analyst herself and got a referral to a child analyst for me when I was six. And that, uh, I believe, was a, a life turning event for me to the good because um, I, I learned how to be more present to myself and to others through the rock-solid presence of this analyst who was a, like a middle-aged guy. and I sensed that he had been through a lot in his own life and just provided what I needed at the time. I mean, I felt like I could feel and say anything uh, with him and he'd be okay with that. And he also helped me to begin to inquire into uh, what I was grappling with. And uh, so I moved really from a position of acute terror and, and paralysis, especially toward death and dying, to, to gradual uh, incremental intrigue, really, with my, my new situation. And eventually, I mean, as I got older, I was able to come into a kind of a sense of wonder and even fascination with the bigger questions about living that I was rudely introduced to at a much too young age. Like, you know, what's this life about? Yes. How are you going to tap in, given you've got such a short time? Uh, major questions. So in, that was the beginning. In your book, Life Enhancing Anxiety, Key to a Sane World, you write uh, that fear acts as a backdrop for courage. And as you're talking about yourself yes. as that six-year-old boy with the analyst, I immediately think, well, what a courageous young boy. Yeah, I, I appreciate that. I mean, I, I was a pretty terrified young boy. I don't know, we may touch on it later, but I actually did get the notes of my psychoanalyst in my first couple of meetings. And uh, he describes how I could barely go and meet him, you know, without being with my mother. But I don't know, you know, between me, him, uh, also my my dad and mom in their own ways were really remarkably supportive and psychologically minded helped me to find the, the courage to to confront uh, the, these many of these crippling fears that I had. And yes, fear and almost all the so-called negative emotions really they have paradoxical sides and uh, this can be one, in terms of fear, especially if one is just fed up with uh, living a life in a prison, basically. So in some ways, it can act as a mobilizer rather than a paralyzer. Um, but you have to have someone, a witness, usually, to, to help you see that. I love that you use that phrase. You know, you have to have a witness, mm. you know, in the sense yeah, of... Yes. That we need we need to tell the story like we have to we have to get it out somehow yes uh, I mean if I would just stay with that stuff internally well I was going downhill 
very quickly. I mean, even to the point where my father, who was a, a school teacher, eventually became a professor of education, was taking notes on me because he was afraid that it, they were losing me in some ways. I mean, I was losing some touch with reality. I was a terror. I was besieged by fears of, of monsters and witches and people, uh, beings invading, you know, my room, especially when I was going to sleep and afraid, terribly afraid of germs, etc. So I, I was uh, a very restricted, constricted kid. And this particular witness made a very significant difference between where I would have been, I, I strongly believe, and, and where I was able to go on the, the path toward psychology, toward philosophy, which was my minor in school. And, and my love of, of psychology, my, my love of life, uh, my, my extremely strong curiosity about living and, uh, you know, the whole question of purpose and meaning. Which gives rise to the concept of post-traumatic growth, right? I, and that's what yes. I hear you describe, you know, the silver lining or the gifts of adversity. Well, it's similar to the, the idea of post-traumatic growth, although post-traumatic growth is often confined to a particular trauma that somebody then is able to grow from, which certainly was true in my case. But the idea of life-enhancing anxiety, I see as a broader concept that really covers our everyday ups and downs as well as major traumas that we experience. And, uh, yeah, I could define it for you. Well, yeah, I would like for you to define it and make it relevant to our listeners, because I don't know about your daily experience as an adult, but I can speak for my own that I feel that I have so many more things to be anxious about now than yeah. I did in a more complicated, tumultuous period in my life. And these are all from external forces and my sort of like short-circuiting of how do you process all of it while it's going on, right? There's so much, we're besieged with so much data, so much information all yeah. the time. It's very hard to calibrate. I'm totally with you on that. <laughs> and I, I think for... I, for many of us, part of the problem is that we have so much anxiety. We have skyrocketing rates of anxiety in the individual population, but also in the culture. Yeah. Precisely because, in my view, precisely because we don't face and grapple with the deeper and more substantive anxieties earlier on, for example, in, in child rearing or in our, you know, developmental years, uh, because our culture is so focused on the quick fix, instant result model, and Pain our technology release. allows that <laughs> as well. And so, anyway, the result is, you know, we've got huge uh, political polarization. We have uh, religious extremism, racism, bigotry. Uh, you know, a lot of hate. A lot of destructiveness, destructive anxiety as opposed to life-enhancing anxiety that we're grappling with. And I would define life-enhancing anxiety as that level of anxiety that enables us to live with and make the best of the depth and mystery of existence. Or another way to put that is anxiety that 
includes elements of wonder and discovery and not just paralysis and dread. And that usually takes a witness to, to help us to become more present to ourselves and to others so that we can be with these, you know, difficult feelings and, and see their greater dimensions and can, that can enrich our lives. As you, again, bring up that very powerful word, witness, that when yes. somebody listens to us, you know, really listens to us, and I'm thinking about the work of Carl Rogers and that yes. sense of being really with somebody when they are telling their story is yes. a powerful sensation that is like love. It is love, agape love. It is love. It is love. That's been a hard word for me to la, say la, professionally la, la. <laughs> too, especially professionally. But uh, I, I say it. I say it. It is. It's. It's a, a very special kind of caring, a profound caring, that comes through, and that, like you say, Rogers is a beautiful example. I mean, he illustrated that with his ways of being, with himself and with his clients. Uh, in his gaze, one feels, I felt, I wasn't as patient, but I, I saw enough video of him. Me too. Uh, <laughs> I love those yeah, videos. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, yeah, I cared for, prized, he uses that word prized, yeah. for, for just being, being, my, being me. <laughs> you know, it, it didn't have to be for a specific achievement, you know, or a, a certain way of looking or whatever. But I really had the sense, yeah, I'm, I'm okay as a human being. In fact, maybe I'm more than okay that this is really something to cherish, this chance of, of a lifetime to be alive. You know? Yes. And that sense of unconditional positive regard, right? That just yes, because I about, am, yes. I am worthy. That's right. That's right. At, at some core, bottom line level, as as a human being, uh, you are amazing, and you're part of something amazing. Now that doesn't mean that somebody can't bankrupt their lives, and because of partly their own choices, but also partly the culture, or the caretaking, you know, matrix, so to speak, that surrounds them. But at a core level. When we're born, for example, yeah. how, how do you say that that's, that's an evil person? You know, they're an evil seed or whatever. No, they're amazing. Perfect. And so, so much of this whole challenge really begins at birth. I don't know if you want to go into that whole... I do, and I want to take a break first. So let's do that. Okay. And let me give our listeners some contact information to learn more about Dr. Kirk J. Schneider and his book, Life Hansing Anxiety, Key to a Sane World. Please visit the website, kirkjschneider.com. You can find him on Twitter at kschneider56. And on Facebook, it's a little bit tricky, that handle, but it's kirk period schneider period 908. And we're going to take that pause. And when we come back, we'll carry on the conversation about having fun with our anxiety and making it something wonderful. <laughs> Here comes that pause. We'll be right back. Research tells us that happiness is good for our health. Happy people live longer, are more productive, and make better partners, 
parents, and professionals. Connect on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness and follow me on Twitter at Lisa Kamen for nutritious helpings of positive goodness. One thing I know for certain, happiness waits for no one, and at times we all need a little support. To learn more about cultivating sustainable well-being at home and at the office, visit HarvestingHappiness.com to explore experiential online and on-site optimal lifestyle management consulting services, including recovery fortification and life crisis triage. And we're back continuing the conversation with Dr. Kirk J. Schneider. We're talking about how to move from angst to awe and the power of life-enhancing anxiety. Let's get back to it. So, Kirk, before the break, you were talking about the importance of looking at birth and childhood as the starting point for learning to dance with life-enhancing anxiety. Yeah, it, it's really, in my view, it, it's the fork in the road. It's the, the original fork in the road in terms of whether one is going to go down a path of more life-denying or even life-destroying anxiety which we see plenty in our world, yep. or what I'm calling life-enhancing anxiety, which is uh, that level of anxiety that can invigorate and uh, help us live a, a more full and free life, potentially more creative life, and a life where we're more discovery-oriented rather than withdrawn and uh, reactive. So, yes, at uh, the point of birth, and I'm drawing a great deal from Otto Rank, who was an early psychoanalyst, very close to Freud, but actually broke from Freud some with his theory of the trauma of birth. As distinct from Freud, he believed that our original anxiety really began at birth, you know, before the Oedipal complex and before other conflicts that Freud homed in on more. And he called this the trauma of birth. I call it the drama of birth because I think it has elements of wonder and discovery as well as trauma. But basically what we're talking about is that radical shift from relative quiescence and unity to sudden abrupt pandemonium. <laughs> you know, <laughs> what, I, what I would call the sense of groundlessness and helplessness. That I would, I would strongly guesstimate that all of us experience at the beginning, where we're shocked by the the newness of everything, the newness of people, of the place, of, of things, of bright lights. Who knows? It's that uh, jarring difference, as Rob puts it, the psychology of difference. When we first learn about differences and that which is other from ourselves, and we often initially are very threatened by that. However, the whole question of how we're met by the caretakers that bring us into the world and the culture is all important in this fork in the road, the question of whether we move more toward a life-enhancing anxiety path as distinct from life-denying and destroying path if we're met with a great deal of fear some of which is transmitted over generations yeah. that the caretakers hold and, and convey to the kid or, you know, just general uptightness or tension or, you know, a lot of hypervigilance about 
foreign things or people. I mean, all of that can contribute to a very restrictive life path for the child that gets stuck in the initial terror of birth as distinct from, I think, the emerge, quickly emerging stage, which is more wonder. Uh, as the child is able to explore more and play and be more present to themselves and to the world. And so that's, that's really the, the, the crucible, I think, that, that begins this whole theme. And a trauma, later trauma, unfortunately rips us open and much too powerfully uh, and, and abruptly to that original primal anxiety of, of birth, I believe, a sense of groundlessness and helplessness. And if we don't have tools, then we have real problems. Let me ask yeah. you a question, because I would say the majority of our parents are not conscious and aware in the skill building in the early phases of being a parent, right? Like being a yeah. parent doesn't come with a no, it, uh, there's no manual. <laughs> There's no, For sure. you know, kids don't come with an, an instruction guide. I mean, yes, there are lots right. of books written, but a lot of it is trial and error. What, what happens when we get to the therapist's couch or chair or Zoom mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. when we're mm -hmm. in our 20s, 30s and beyond, and we need mm -hmm. to repair some yeah. of that trauma? You know, how can we apply well, this life-enhancing anxiety to that process? Yeah, great question. And just to reel back about the parents going in in a fairly innocent way to the whole parent parenting process, I, I really want to convey empathy to parents, especially, you know, very young parents who, you know, who are really jarred by all this, maybe not with a lot of tools. But I think part of that is, again, our quick fix, instant result culture, which encourages everyone, including parents, to uh, maybe not attend to or be as present to the child as they could be, you know, engage in really rich and, um, you know, mind expanding, heart expanding conversations, et cetera. Anyway, but to take us up to the repair part, yeah, I mean, it's basically about learning new internalizations through the therapist who hopefully is a, a good model for someone who has been through a great deal in their own lives, but has not only survived, but clearly thrived in, in becoming, you know, a very sensitive, sensitive and uh, multidimensional human being, professional, et cetera. So, yeah, I think the therapist's capacity to be present, uh, to create, help to create a sense of safety for the client, a sense of really being met in a more supportive uh, rather than cold, you know, or distant way, uh, can, can make very significant difference in terms of repairing, restoring, a lot of the uh, the vitality that that got squelched, you know, by by the trauma or anxieties that people come into the office with. Let's talk about some ways to cultivate life enhancing anxiety of awe. 
because this is mm. uh, the this is the practice, right? That it's an outgrowth of life enhancing outgrowth. Yes. Yes. Take us through some ways that we can do this at any age. First of all, if one can, one needs to develop a fuller capacity to be present, to be able to pause, to take stock of their life, to uh, take stock of their whole body experience, whatever that moment is, basically to have greater access to, you know, mind, body, spirit, if you will, Uh, the good, the bad, and the ugly, even what initially seems ugly, uh, you know, difficult emotions, as well as uh, more exuberant risk-taking venturesome emotions. And that's, of course, a lot of what we do in depth therapy provides a staging grounds for that. So, uh, yes, I would say depth therapy can be helpful, especially if it's more experiential, meaning here and now oriented, bringing the past into the here and now between therapist and client, how they may be enacting some of it or just working out their own relationship, but also uh, calling attention to uh, areas of the person's body that may be experiencing very immediately what they're thinking or feeling, like a tightness in the stomach or something. And I I might even invite a client to put their hand on that area and then associate to that, especially with what other feelings, images, sensations come up. And it is very striking how that can open sometimes floodgates. I mean, it has to be done discerningly, uh, but to very core experiences of groundlessness and helplessness that hopefully one finds greater ground in as one revisits, you know, those, those wounds. So that's one area. I mean, there are a number of others, meditation, uh, you know, helpful witness, a neighbor sometimes can perform or provide that kind of role. You write uh, in the chapter from anxiety to awe, you mention seeking contemplative time alone mm-hmm. in nature and with close others. And I think that the time alone is one that contemporary society in life does not often make space for. I, oh, you shouldn't be alone. You know, yeah. you, don't, you know, you don't, yeah, yeah, being alone isn't good. Right. And <laughs> right. Right. got to be, be with the Because you think when you're alone. Imagine that. Right, right. And, and we make it so much easier today to plug in, so to speak, right? Because yeah. we've got our phones, we can plug in, we can plug into net surfing, we can plug into friends, and sometimes they're real friends, sometimes they're quote friends uh, that, you know, just are part of your, whatever, your Twitter or Facebook, what have you. Um, but we have waves, very seductive, uh, ready waves, ways to uh, avoid loneliness, to distract ourselves, or I should say aloneness, which sometimes comes with loneliness. Um, And it means, again, learning to be more present to sometimes uncomfortable feelings. I mean, that is how, in, in my view anyway, an experience, one lives a more full enriched life is if one has access to and can 
embody difficult feelings as well as those that are freer and easier, so to speak. Um, so, yeah, having solitude, I think that's a good word for the kind of alone time I'm talking about. When one learns to be with one's thoughts, feelings, body sensations, imaginings, maybe take a do some writing, journal writing about it, as Thoreau, Thoreau did. But uh, we can learn it. We, we can and we need that kind of time. We can learn a great deal from taking stock because that's a lot of what it is, taking stock of our lives, how we really want to live. And I think there's a little bit of faith in there in that by being alone, if we're not used to spending time by ourselves, the, the, the faith is in the fact that nothing can remain the same, right? That bad feeling, that bad sensation cannot last forever. And the hope is that we then learn that we have all of these hidden resources with which to help us elevate ourselves. And sometimes we do need the help. Yes. Yeah. I say yes to all the things you mentioned. It's certainly a, a, a faith in things are changing every moment. In fact, one of the most important things that someone said to me at a time, this was later, well after the trauma I described to you, this was in graduate school and I was having particular challenges, which is also in the book. But um, it, uh, it was a time I really was quite, quite challenged and, and afraid of my situation at the time. And this person came to me, and ironically, she was a blind person, but I just had a feeling, she was a classmate, I had a feeling that she could be helpful somehow in, that, in my panic. And she said something that might sound a little trite to some people, but this too shall pass. I think that was one of Famous the first words. things that she said. Yeah, well, it was really critical to me at the time. And then she referred me to a, a therapist who was just wonderful. It was probably the most important therapist of my life in my early 20s. So, uh, yeah, ha- having faith in the process of life, trust. I say faith in the inscrutable <laughs> uh, <laughs> can be. Very powerful. I mean, just realizing that we're participating in something much greater than ourselves. I mean, some people call it God. Ah, yes. You know, some people call it spirit. I call it the awesomeness of existence. Um, Yeah. I'm with you. The point is, we don't know, or I don't know what it is, but I know it's great. (laughs) You know, in in the full sense of the word, It's, it's way beyond me. And, and that's consoling in some way. Um, so that, it's, yeah, correct. Yeah. Yeah. It's way beyond me. It's way beyond you. It's way beyond us. Yeah. And we can't do it alone, but we must learn to be alone in order to kind of synthesize all of it. Well, exactly. Well, that's another thing that aloneness can do. It can take us away from... The, the sort of monkey mind that Buddhists talk about, you know, uh, <laughs> we can just, and especially when we're at, with other people, you know, we just talk, 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 and get distracted by things very easily um, or in, in social settings. But when you're alone and truly in undistracted alone time, 
And I often advise my therapy clients to take this kind of time during the week. Just check in. Uh, it's a lot harder to, to, you know, take recourse into something that is, you know, just a simple distraction or entertainment. If you concertedly make time for that. And so walking in nature can be one way that's even more conducive because it doesn't have the distractions of our day-to-day commercial world, you know, so to speak. Um, and put yeah. the dang phone down. Yes, <laughs> yes. Put the life in, for, in a foreign screen down for a few moments. Yeah. Kirk, we're out of time. You have okay. to come back and we'll do more because it's it's very hard to cover this subject in yes. in the short period that we have yes. for this virtual visit. But I, I, I feel that this, what you've written is so fundamentally helpful for all of us. Like we all, we all have this, right? This yes. is emblematic of yeah. the human condition. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And it's important to learn how to work with and transform these feelings, you know? So well, we can all get to a more contented place. Yes, and get along, not only with ourselves, and get along, but with yes. <laughs> other people. And that, that which yes. is foreign to us, which is so critical now in our highly divisive world. To life. have that unconditional positive regard we spoke about in the first segment, not only for ourselves and the people in our immediate circle, but to be able to extend that generosity to people we don't know. To yes. respect their humanity and not just yes. see them as a label, you know, or a stereotype. Not like yeah. me, you know? Right, that's the typical. The book is Life Enhancing Anxiety, Key to a Sane World. I highly recommend this book to everybody. Go, go, go give it to everybody on your gift list. It's a good thing. To learn more about the work of Dr. Kirk J. Thank Schneider, you. please visit Kirk jschneider.com on twitter at kschneider56 on facebook this one's a little tricky kirk period schneider period 908 this has been such a a wonderful visit thanks for spending part of your day with me and you're going to come back and we're going to do more because this is just scratching the tip of the iceberg i think well i'm with you lisa on that and i look forward to Another meeting. Another, another deep, deep dive. dive. That's what we'll call them. Another deep yeah. dive yeah. <laughs> with Dr. Kirk. <laughs> Thanks for joining us on Harvesting Happiness today. This is Lisa Cypress Kamen on behalf of my guest, Dr. Kirk J. Schneider, wishing you kind thoughts, kinder words, and the kindest of actions. Until next time, remember, happiness is an inside job. Happiness is your inside job. Please go out and rock your day and remember to be kind to one another. Keep harvesting your own happiness anytime and anywhere from the comfort of wherever you are. Subscribe, listen, and share hundreds of downloadable episodes from our mental muscle toning libraries at HarvestingHappinessTalkRadio.com, Toginet.com, iTunes, Google Play, Amazon, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. To learn more about my global consulting services, please visit HarvestingHappiness.com. Spread more joy by liking us on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness and following me on Twitter at Lisa Kamen. Harvesting Happiness is produced by me, Lisa Cypress Kamen, Andrea Mangeli, Robin Boyd, Andrea Daly, and the awesome team at Podfly Productions, including Eric Begay, Kimberly Beck, and Alec Gus, in collaboration with Toginet Radio 
kbuuradiomalibu.net and is available on PRX, the public radio exchange.